Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. With me today I have Jonathan Thompson. Jonathan Thompson is the writer and creator of the new series Burn Residue. Burn Residue is kind of this crime noir thriller that's live right this second uh, on Kickstarter. It's only live until uh, Black Friday of this year, 20, November 2020, so make sure you check it out and get your hands on it. We talk about a lot of awesome things about how he got started, um, how he crowdfunds, and just his overall um, demeanor and thought process when it comes to creating. It's a really great episode. I had a really awesome time talking with him, and make sure you check it out. So without further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. With me today, I have Jonathan Thomas. Jonathan is a writer and creator um, of a really awesome series that I think everyone should um, definitely check out. It's called Burn Residue. And at the time of this recording and when it's released, it is live on Kickstarter, but only for a couple of days. And so I'm really excited that we were able uh, to kind of connect today and talk about not only his Kickstarter, but making comics and all that awesome stuff. So Jonathan, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. I, uh, you know, when when you first kind of reached out to me and and showed me uh, your comic Burn Residue, I was immediately... I'm sure like everyone else is just immediately kind of taken aback by your protagonist because um, it's not your normal everyday protagonist. Um, so uh, can you just talk a little bit about what Burn Residue is and just kind of how you came up with this concept? Because I think it's really cool and it kind of harkened back to um, some really cool crime stories that I'm a big fan of. Yeah, thanks. So Burn Residue is the story of Willie Boyd. He is a gas station attendant kind of on the outskirts of the city. Uh, the main difference about him from a normal person is that he is burned head to toe with third degree burns. Uh, he lives a kind of quiet life until a car pulls in, driven by one of the men who lit him on fire years ago. And he ha- kind of has to make a decision on what he wants to do. And revenge seems like the best option. Yeah, I um, I really thought it was interesting. Um, the last time... I read uh, a story like this where I had a, a, a protagonist with such a deformity. Have you ever read uh, The Creep by John Arcudi? Arcadi? I always say his name wrong. No, but now it's on my list. Yeah, uh, he John. He wrote. Um, he wrote uh, uh, BP or one of the Hellboy franchises. He was on that for a long time, and then he re- uh, wrote another graphic novel that's very underappreciated called A God Somewhere. Um, but he also has this like really pulpy noir crime graphic novel called The Creep, and it's um, it's with this uh, detective that has a, like a physical deformity. Um, and then as soon as I saw your comic, I immediately um, thought of that. So kind of where did because it's such a unique thing, right? This guy's like has this crazy burn, and it's a crazy visual to see. Where did that idea come from? You know, it kind of comes from two places. The first is like my overall love of crime fiction and crime comics. So I always knew that I wanted to explore a story in that. All roads led to me going there. And then I I saw my artist Rosano Piccioni's work online. And he has a very like, for lack of a better word, ugly style in many ways when he does his crime books. So I thought, okay, let me... You know, I pitched him the character. 
I kind of had a basic idea of just, you know, a gas station attendant, but he's all burnt from head to toe. And, you know, Rosano drew that up. He sent it back to me and I was blown away. And I knew that I had to like dig into this character more and kind of find the story through those images. And that's a, a lot of times how I work is I like for an artist that I'm working with to, you know, show me something because what they show me will lead me in the direction that I don't know I'm going to take from the beginning. That's that's really interesting. So um, you're more of like in the Stephen King realm of writing where it's more of like a discovery for you. You kind of, it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're digging for dinosaur bones and as you're digging, you know, you kind of discover new things as you go along. Yeah. I think it's become that way, especially in comics because it's so, you know, I didn't like, I wrote all three issues for the comic but I waited for each issue to be finished by Rosano before I moved on to the next one, because I know little things that he could do could inform where I would take things. You know, I say this first issue is pretty rough. It's pretty dark. It gets very brutal by the end, but everything that happened in that issue, once I was done and could see it as a reader myself, I sat with it. I meditated on it. And then that's what led me to issue two. And then that's the same thing that happened when issue two was being done leading into issue three. Nice. Yeah. I, I definitely, um, the, the interesting thing uh, about burn residue is that there's this like really interesting kind of dichotomy between who your main character was and who your main character is kind of, where did that kind of come from? Um, because he wasn't always like, he wasn't born, you know, with a deformity head to toe kind of um, I thought that was a really interesting kind of, um, dynamic you did and a layer for that character that I think works really well. I think it was a lot about trying to make you completely empathize with the character that maybe you shouldn't by the end of the issue. You know, to see where he was, to flashback in time, it builds that drama as Willie is chasing, you know, Lanny, one of the guys who lit him on fire. You know, as he's chasing Lanny, he's thinking about what he used to have how he used to be this high stakes gambler and then how it all kind of fell apart on him. And I think that was important for the readers to fully understand who he was to understand and feel a sense of just almost inner joy when he achieves part of something by the end of the issue that also, when you think about it should make you feel a little gross inside too. For sure. For sure. I, uh, I love what you said that um, you you waited for the art to come back before you went on to the next issue, which I think is is really really interesting and something that I sort of do to some degree. Um, I definitely you know when I get the art back, I I definitely mess around with the dialogue for sure, um, and then I always after I get the art back, I always go to the next issue, whether it's done or not and make changes. Um, is that something that you've always done or has this been something that you've kind of just developed along, uh, you know, your process? No, it kind of developed with this one because it kind of came together very quickly. It was around September that Rosano even had an opening to do work. So I kind of jumped on that and I had the issue one script ready to go. And then I had to kind of, you know, I didn't know what my next move would be. We thought that we would maybe send it out to publishers, but then I also didn't want to 
wait and send a half finished project out. And especially kind of the where the market has been right now, I thought it was better. Okay, let's do the whole thing. We'll run the Kickstarter, get it all funded, get it all taken care of and get it in people's hands. And that's when I really started to develop everything. And it just started to brew from there. Um, it started off almost that it was going to be a one shot. So I kind of had it more planned and then it was more exciting to see where I could take it from there. Nice. I, I think that's a, you know, a really, you know, good and sound and, and, and smart plan. I, I know a lot of people never finish their work because they'll get, you know, the, the six pages done and the pitch ready and they'll send it out to every publisher and then they don't ever hear anything back. And then they just kind of sit around and wait, like they don't know to take to the next step. Um, what was it like kind of, have you done Kickstarters before? Um, or, and what was it like to kind of, you know, decide you wanted to finish this book and get it into people's hands? I mean, we can take it back a year. So I, I've always been a writer. Uh, I predominantly work screenplays, but I love comics. It's, you know, half of my bookshelf was filled with comics. So I knew I wanted to like take the leap and do that. And when the pandemic first hit and everything I knew was being shut down, I, I hooked up with the artist, George Luis Gabota, and we did a bunch of short sci-fi stories. So that's what really kept the wheels moving. We put that together as a book called Tales from the Dead Astronaut, which is, it's a, one of the tiers because I self-published that one and kind of like hand sold that through my website. But I did notice, you know, there was a disconnect between people having to like click on three different things on a Squarespace website to buy a comic than it was for a Kickstarter, which kind of builds a, a brand into itself and an engagement in itself. So uh, I'm always the type of person that wants everything finished. I don't really like even when you talked about pitches, I'm not really into just making a six page pitch and that being the end of my journey with it. I might as well just do it. If I can recoup the cost for what it costs to make, then that's all that matters to me. Uh, you know, especially with burn residue, which like felt so strong, especially when I finished that first issue and I got all those colored pages from Rosano and I did the lettering and saw it. I was like, okay, I need to find like the maximum audience for this. I'm not going to wait around for a publisher to maybe look at it and then say, oh, we'll do it and then have it come out six months to a year from now. Let's, let's get into people's hands now and then see what happens after that. Yeah. I think that's, you know, uh, a really, a really great approach because now the boundaries to, you know, getting your work out there are the lowest it's ever been. You know, the, the downside to that though is, you know, all the extra kind of hats you have to wear when you're running a Kickstarter or promoting your old stuff, right? You got to be like a marketer, a promoter, a sales team. Um, you know, what's it been like for you running this Kickstarter now? You know, it's pretty tough. Um, Rosano is in Italy and he has a very uh, small knowledge of Kickstarter. It's not really a thing over there. So he, he tries to help him as best as possible, like trying to give me new stuff to put out to people, but he doesn't really get it. So I'm really like a one-man gang over here trying to get it out to as many people as possible. I think I started this with about like 50 Twitter followers. We've blossomed, but uh, you know, it's tough just like finding people to even know that we exist and then take the next leap to back us. But you know, the cool part is, is I've reached out to a lot of creators because Twitter is like the ultimate 
like handshaking material if you can use it the right way because you can literally send a message to someone that you appreciate and like their work and maybe they'll see it maybe they won't maybe they see it and they click on it maybe they see it they click on it and they like it they back it and share it and that's been a huge help for us nice that's you know i think that's uh you know a really a really powerful you know powerful idea the fact that you've decided to this hey we're gonna put this out there we're gonna make it and see what happens and the fact that you're not you know you're not afraid to get your kind of hands dirty because i know a lot of people who run kickstarters they just think hey i'm gonna you know put a kickstarter starter up and you know you know people are just gonna back it and you know i want to say that you know that is not the case at all um and so you know, seeing you getting out there and, you know, reaching out to people, I, I think that's half the battle. And one thing that, you know, I, I think you've, you found and I have found myself and pretty much everyone that, you know, I, I've talked to and met, um, the comics community is a, a pretty awesome community to be involved in. And the people in there really have everyone's best interests at heart. Um, and I, I think it's just something that, you know, I could just talk about for days, but it's something that, you know, I, I think everyone should definitely, you know, be aware of and appreciative because not, not every industry is like that. Cause you know, you, you said you came from screenplays, right. And I know Hollywood is not like that. Not like that at all. You know, I joke with my brother all the time. I say, you know, in, in film, everyone's trying to like cut each other's throat. And in like the comics community, I found everybody loves comics so much and loves supporting each other. And that's just awesome. That, that's yeah. just really, you know, it, there's nothing like seeing someone that you like whose work you admire share out your thing and say, this looks awesome. You know, yeah. very vindicating. Yes. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, yeah. I, uh, I have a screenwriting background myself, so I know, I know all about, all about that world. It's a, it's definitely a different world. Um, and you know, uh, pros and cons to each, but um, I, I'm definitely liking the comic book um, where I'm a lot, you know, a lot better. One uh, one thing I I, uh, I thought was really interesting was your use of kind of narration um, in this comic. Was that something you initial initially like kind of wanted to do? Did the story itself call for it? Um, what was your kind of ideas or tactics about using narration? Because it's heavy narration, which uh, I think is a good thing, especially for this comic. But you don't see it a ton anymore. You know, I just think it felt natural for the genre, especially when it's such an internal journey. Um, like issue two is very much like about the psychological journey that Willie goes through after issue one. That narration, it's also just so much fun to write. You know, it's like every world word feels like it's cut with steel. And that's just exciting as a writer to have fun with. Um, you know, it's just great. It's, I think traditionally crime comics... They give you a protagonist. They show you every like personality trait he has, including every single flaw he has. And you exist in that character's mind as he goes through his journey. And I think that's what's really cool about it. You know, it help, also helps make the pages just like flow by when you read. Yeah, I, uh, you know, one of my favorite pages was it's um, somewhere in the middle Um it's where he's on the motorcycle chasing the guy down that uh, sent him on fire. And it's just like, 
a, a couple, it's not even a paragraph, but like four or five kind of captions where we get a really, a really introspective look of what this guy's going through juxtaposed with him chasing down the guy who did it to him. And I just thought like the, the, the captions with the image was just really well done. And it really, it was really, um, it was really one of those moments where you're like, all right, like this guy has a handle on the story he's telling. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Um, is is it a splash page? Yeah. That the splash page I'm talking about. It's my favorite page of the whole book. I mean, there's another page that's my favorite, but that might be my favorite page of the whole book. You know, it just, you feel the emotional momentum as well as the literal figurative momentum of the story in that moment. And you know, like I said, when I got those, every time I get a page back from Rosano, there's so much excitement in what we're building that I think it just fuels even more what comes next. And it's a, it's the kind of writing that you only get with comics, especially, you know, if you think of it as like a monthly book, you know, to, to be on that deadline, to do a, every month to create something new, to keep that forward momentum and also react to what has come before. I think that's, Super awesome. Yeah, I you know, I, I've said this probably way too much now on this podcast, but every time I get a new page back from uh, my artist, it's like a mixture of Christmas morning and my birthday all wrapped into one. Like, it's really the coolest, coolest feeling you could get. Yeah, uh, 100%. And especially because I lettered the pages too, it, it was the excitement of, oh, now I can really get to work with every day. I get a new, like I got the inked version and then I got the colored version and then I'm now putting the words to it and seeing it come together that way. Such that like tactile hand, like having your own destiny in your hand is how this book has felt for me. And that's, there's not, nothing has been greater than that feeling. Yeah. I, I, you know, that is kind of the, the, um, the E, uh, I don't know what I want to say. That is definitely what this podcast is all about. Is that right? This this idea that you know you're not gonna sit around and, and try to you know make this work. You're actually gonna get down and, and make it work and, and get it to happen, um, which you know I think is is completely awesome. So what what was it like? Where where were you when you when you took that first step to wanting to make your own comics? Like what where were you in, in your life where you went from all right? you're thinking about making comics to, all right, I'm actually going to do it. Where were you and what made you make that change? You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the title of your podcast because I think that's like the greatest title to have for people today because it's so much about just doing things and not just thinking about doing things. You know, for a long time, it was, you know, I'm a writer, so I have a notebook. And every time I have that comics notebook filled with ideas of stories that I would like to do, but I would always make that excuse, you know, you need to find the perfect artist. You need to have, you know, the cash on hand to pay that artist for his time and energy. And, you know, it's easy to keep making those excuses that, oh, that's not the right one. Oh, this is not the right moment. And then I just, it started me with me making the leap when I worked with George. We started two page stories. We started four page stories. We got to eight page stories. And then all of a sudden we had an anthology. And then I wasn't going to stop there. I saw Rosano's work. I saw the price tag that came with it. I, uh, you know, I let my wife know in the kindest way that that's where I was going to be putting some money. And, you know, it was, it was the wisest decision I ever made because I was doing what 
was important to me because I could spend, you know, I'm 35 years old. I've spent 20 of those years thinking about making comics. And now that I'm doing them, it's like, you know, you can't go in and complain when you go to the comic shop that comics are bad if you're not doing them yourself. Now, now I feel a little more arrogant and say, oh, get those off my list because that's garbage. I'll show you something real. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I, if this is one of those times where I wish uh, there's a video component to the podcast, because when you started talking, uh, uh, you know, about running it through through your wife first, uh, you know, I'm married and I've done the same thing. So I just, uh, I just was laughing, you know, with the biggest grin because I know how those conversations go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it's awesome the, that you decided to make it. I think a lot of people will, you know, want to be a writer and then they either don't have, they feel like they need permission from someone or they're not good enough or, you know, and they'll, they'll just start piling on the excuses on why they can't ever really start. And then um, once you decide you're going to start, there's something really empowering about it and, you know, you start, and I love the fact that you said, you know, you, you have your kind of destiny in your own hands. And that's really, really, really cool to not only think about, but the fact that, you know, you're putting that out there so other people could hear, because I think it's important. And then, you know, have you, now that you're doing it on your own and you're out there, do you ever have those uh, feelings like, Hey, like, you know, maybe I'm not good enough. You ever have that imposter syndrome stuff do you, you know, do doubts creep into your mind? Because these are all things that I think um, everyone deals with. And I, I just love to know, like, A, do you deal with them? And, and B, how do you get over it? I, ju- I just think you can't even listen to that side. You can't, you can't ever think that you're not going to, you just have to follow your heart. And if not everybody has to like what you're doing, as long as you like what you're doing, that's all that matters. If people are responding to it, more the better you know the kickstarter has been tough because it is it's like the deathly thing of you're always looking to see if your number has increased and as the days click by you're like oh i gotta get to that funding goal i gotta get there i gotta get there and that's probably the more stressful part of it the actual making the work is the joy you know if i sat and thought i don't know is this going to be good enough is this the right thing to go with? I would still stay in a stagnation. I would not have moved forward. But just by doing it, just by going for it, just by going on instinct, that's made all the difference in the world. I, I love the I love what you said. If I was just thinking about it, I'd be stagnant. And now that you're you're doing it and um, going after it, um, you know, you're getting it done. Do you feel like you're with every word and page and sentence and period and, and, you know, everything that you're doing, do you feel like you're building up momentum? Because I've had a couple conversations where um, it, before you start doing anything, it feels like you're stuck in the mud, but as soon as you get your first thing out there, regardless, you start, it feels like a little snowball effect. So do you ever have that? Are you having that feeling now? Or like, how do you describe this kind of going from not making stuff to making stuff? Yeah, 100%. It's it's all momentum. Because I think the most addictive thing about making comics is that you want to make more. You're always thinking about what else you can do and like what other ways you can play in the medium. Before you're even done with one project, you're thinking about the next one you could possibly do. And 
you're just naturally going to build momentum. You're naturally yeah. going to spot where this is what you, when you feel instinctively that this is what you, your body is pulling you towards, when you go to meet that, you're just going to keep going further. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's it's so funny that you you mentioned that, you know, you're you're already thinking about other projects you want to do before this one's even done. I I woke up uh with an idea in my head and one of my really close comics buddies, I, I sent him a text of like this is idea. He's like, You're not even done with with this year. So I was like, I gotta do this one next, man. Like it's it's hot. The iron's hot. I gotta go. Uh and yeah, it's, uh, and it's a really cool feeling because I think once you realize you can do it, um, then you realize anything's possible. Yeah, exactly. And especially seeing people respond to it. You know, one of the important things for me when I launched a Kickstarter was, first of all, the book needed to be done. You know, I see a lot where it's, you're kind of, you're backing them to start the process, which is cool. Everybody has their own way. But for me, I'm very much like you need something done before you can even honestly try and get people to put their money into something. So that was important to me right off the bat. But then, you know, it is once you start doing these things, you just find like a pure joy. You want to have other people see them. You know, I took the leap. So I wanted I wanted people to review the book like the first week I had the Kickstarter out because I wanted people to know that want to back it that, Oh, there's reviews of this thing. This is not just some idea that this guy has in a couple pages. And, you know, I was like, I couldn't believe I threw out so many. I was like, what happens if I get a bad review? And fortunately we got like all positive reviews. So that excited me more. And then, you know, when I see people like, um, you know, uh, the, Chris Condon, the writer of That Texas Blood, has been really helpful for me. You know, he read an early draft of it. He, he helped me tweak a few things and he responded really positively to it. And then I reached out to Jacob Phillips, who just did the cover for the graphic novel version of the book, which is super awesome. That's another Christmas joy when I finally got that one. But it's just like, it, it's very cool to see people responding to it and vindicating for all the time and energy you've put into it you know when you're a little guy just out there with your notebook in your hand hoping that you can do something and then seeing people that are out there actually doing it responding to it in a positive way it it just you know it, it feels great and it feels just like you can't stop you know I'm already like always messaging Rosano what we should do next and how he should ignore the other people that want to work with him and just keep going with me. And it's, it's just fun. It's addictive. And especially when you have an artist that you work so well with who really re- is responding to what you're doing in a way that they may not respond to with other people, you know, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, the artist writer collaboration. So can you talk, talk to me just a little bit about, I know you reached out to him and uh, he was free. Um, but how is your collaboration, uh, you know, how has that been going? Have you guys, are you doing everything kind of full script? Are you guys doing stuff kind of like Marvel style, a little hybrid? How is your writing and your collaboration with your artist? Um, how did it start? And is it evolving as you're going through? Um, I go full script. Um, we, aside from the maybe translation confusion, we work so perfectly together. You know, maybe there'll be a panel that he has to change because he 
it was interpreted the wrong way, but like we just flow in such a perfect way that I found with both artists I've worked with, which was also a huge learning process for me when I first got into comics, because you do need to like let your babies go and not try and control the artists and what they're doing because they know how to tell a story. So it's great working with people that really get you. You know, fortunately, I've only had good experiences. Yeah, I, I, um, you know, one of the really cool things about comics is, you know, you could have something in your head and then when you send it off to the artist, you get the exact same thing, but better back, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It was like, oh, that's exactly what was in my head, but way cooler than I could have ever thought it would ever look like. Um, And like, that has been my experience. I, you know, I, uh, I, I totally get the, uh, the language barrier thing. Uh, uh, because I've, you know, I've, my first artist that I worked with, uh, my first graphic novel, uh, man of sin, uh, he was from Chile and he was awesome. He's great. He, you know, Camilo, if you listen to this, you're the man, but there'd be some times where like, I had to be really conscious of how I worded things because I, I, I knew he wouldn't understand you know, some of our slang or jargon, I had to be kind of like really deliberate in how I, I describe certain panels or, th- or scenes. And a lot of times we developed, you know, by the end of the series, we, we developed such a shorthand where I would just be like, all right, Camila, whatever you want to do here, this is what I need. Go for it. Like that would be my description. And he would just nail it because he understood uh, the project so well. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, my scripts have gotten looser because I know, that I can trust Rosano to do what needs to be done. As long as the emotion and context of the panel is there, we're going to hit our mark. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. Now, you, a couple of things I, I, I want to touch on because I think it's, it, it's interesting. And the first one was you, you said you came from a screenwriting kind of background. What differences have you found in the writing kind of the writing actual scripting of a comic script compared to screenwriting because they're similar in some ways, but they're vastly, vastly different. So what kind of differences have you found and, you know, what's worked for you? What did you take over from screenwriting? What have you left behind? What have you had to develop um, new uh, for comic scripting and all that, all that jazz, if that makes any sense. Cause I feel like I was rambling. No, I, I got you there. You know, I think that the, um, my natural instincts as a, director take over with comic writing because it's images it's the shot it's the movement of the shot and every shot has to mean something so that that brought over pretty easily the only difference is the page turn which i think is super important in comics i say pacing has always been a big thing that's important to me in any form of writing but the page turn is something that is so just perfectly unique to comics and so important to me so that, you know, one of the great things about burn residue is you feel the momentum because of the page. You know, when you have that book in your hands and you're actually flipping page to page, you're going to feel that just like driving momentum that you can't, you know, you make it your own pace, which unlike film, which directs you in that pace. That's, that's the biggest tool I've taken away. Um, I enjoy comics writing because, you know, there's nothing like writing, you know, Burn Residue is 32 pages each issue. I really wanted to give the reader a lot of content to deal with. 
So, you know, sitting down and when I go to do a script and writing, you know, pages one to 32 down on a notepad and then filling what those pages need to contain with the page turn that comes after was super fun, you know, in a way that screenwriting is just not, not that it's not fun, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. I, uh, that's funny that you said you, you go on a, on a notebook and write one through, you know, however many pages you're going to have. Um, I do something very similar to that. Like when you write, you know, one through 32, is it just a one word thing? Is it, you know, how are you, how are you going about using that? Because I use the same method and I don't know if I got it from someone or it's just, I did it naturally. I don't know where it came from, but, uh, I definitely do that. I, you know, my process is, you know, I, I say 90% of my writing is done daydreaming. Like I have to really understand and make out the physical space of the story in my head first. So I could just kind of hit play in the movie in my head. And then once I constructed that, and that takes a long time of like me, just like staring off into space. um, Once I have that, then I kind of do like a, a long form outline. And then I get to that. Once I have that, then I get to, you know, one through however many pages the issue is going to be. And then I write down, you know, what that, what those pages are going to look like. So just interesting kind of where that, where did that come from for you and what do you use it for? Uh, I think it's just instinct. I think it's maybe the natural for the comic writer to think that way. You know, your process is very similar to mine. I think that a lot of writing happens before you even sit down because you're working out all those ideas and how those pieces fit together and how you as an audience member would pick those pieces apart and how you fix those things. So I'm a very fast writer when it comes down to the physical writing part. You know, I could bust out a script very quickly, but that's also because I've been thinking about it for, you know, a week plus on end and just like turning the different story machinations on and on. Um, You'll be vindicated to know that Alan Moore does it the same way with the one to 32. Cause I just read his book on writing like a couple months ago and he's talking about the same thing. I was like, okay, okay. So we're all doing this from some primordial thought pattern way. So th- that, that felt good, but you know, yeah, that's interesting to hear. I, I've never read it. That's been on like, I've read probably every like writing book from every genre and medium there is. And that's the one that's eluded me the most. Oh, it's great. It's like a pamphlet. It's like, it's very short. You could read it in one sitting. It's just more of a meditation on writing overall, but it's, you know, process is so important because that's where you're doing all the heavy lifting and all that thinking, all that time you spend during the day, not writing can easily feel like a defeat. You know, if you, if it takes you two days until you have time to write again, that's not a bad thing because you've spent all that time thinking about what you're going to write so that when you sit down, you're going to just flow. Yeah. I, I think that's so important. I think for, for writers to hear, especially, you know, writers that are on that, on the, on the side of, I'm still thinking about writing and not going through is that they, I know a lot of writers feel bad. And I have a buddy of mine who, who talks about this all the time. He's like, well, I, you know, I feel like a, a failure. Or I'm not a real writer because I didn't write today. And I tell him all the time, like, man, like 
most of the days I'm not actually writing, like putting my fingers to the keyboard and writing page one, panel one, you know, I'm either thinking about it or writing ideas in my phone or writing ideas in my notebook. And I use them for two different things. And as long as I'm constantly creating story, then I'm a writer and that's not a failure. It's if I'm, you know, dicking around and watching Cobra Kai on Netflix, that's when, when I, when I could be doing something else, that's when, you know, that creeps in. But yeah, I think it's really important um, that you say that because I think it's not a lot of people realize that. No. And even when you're dicking around watching Cobra Hot Kai, you're still thinking. You know, oh yeah. You're thinking about story. Any, I always say like anything you consume will also make you a better writer. Uh, I make sure I always read. Um, I was not, I always loved reading but I also was very lazy with reading. Um, I met my wife in an English class and she would joke that I never read any of the books in the class, but would still talk about them. But so she's challenged me to read again and I will go from one book to the next switching genres. And every time I do that, it's, you know, it's just food for the brain, especially when you're a writer, you need to see things. You need to consume different kinds of media. You need to read and watch things that you don't like and understand why you don't like them. And then you need to watch things that you really like and understand why you like them. I, I couldn't agree more. I know, uh, you know, even when I am watching Cobra Kai, my, my, my wife hates it because I'm always breaking it down. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what they're doing here. This is the reason why they're doing that. She's like, will you just shut up and watch the dang TV show? Um, but yeah, I'm always, um, you know, I'm always, reading you know i'm an english teacher so i do it for a living um but i'm always breaking stuff down and reverse engineering stuff do you find that you um you're constantly reverse engineering or how do you go about consuming um some of these stories that you're reading all the time um you know i try to get enjoyment out of it but i also try and look at possibilities especially since starting making comics it has changed the way I consume my comics. You know, every week I go to the shop, I get my bundle of comics and I come home and some leave me very hollow and others really engage me. And there's a reason for both those things. You can see the way different things are working and the way things are not working. You can also see the influence that, um, you know, you can look at one writer who say has a book from a, more creator-owned publisher and is also working on a book for one of the big two and you can see a difference in their writing based on the maybe editorial constraint that they're dealing with and then you could think about oh well how does that change you as a writer and how do you learn from that too which i think is important to think about if you're trying to make any sort of career in this business yeah that's really well said i, I know i've i've had a few conversations with some well-known writers and uh, they kind of echo those sentiments that writing is much different with a large editorial team and hierarchy and, and kind of, um, I guess, publishing mandates, if you will, um, than if you're going about it on your own. Um, and that's kind of the fun part about kind of being in this kind of indie world, right? Is that you're, you're your own, you know, you could do what you want. You could tell the story you want to tell. And that's really you know, freeing and liberating and also, you know, uh, very energizing at some point, right? Because you have 
unlimited freedom. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, not to shame editors, but I had spoke with an editor, uh, an editor for hire, and I just had like story question, and you know, he wanted he wanted me to hire him before he could give me an answer because it was his job to help shepherd a story. And at one point, I was just like, "But I'm not sure why I need you because if this is an instinctive medium and this is my story, I should be the one living or dying on it. Uh, like I don't need." to pay someone to interfere with what I might think is the best way to do it. You know, for an indie person, I think it's best to just follow your soul, you know, find someone that I would say first save some money, think about what you can pull off and then find the artist that can match that story. You know, I started off small, like I said, a two page story, a four page, a six page and an eight page. And then that built to something. To the point where I was like, okay, now I feel confident enough to slap my money down on a full three-issue run. Yeah, I think it's so important that you do start off small, um, especially in comics, because you you don't want to try to write your version of the Watchmen or your magnus, magnum opus right out the gate. Like it's just it's going to be too hard. There's it's not that you can't do it, but the time, the energy, the 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 money that's involved in that and your collaborators, like it's, it's much easier hurdle to do something small. Like my first thing that I ever got published or worked on was a small three page story that was in an anthology. And that allowed me to work in my first time working with an artist, got me to understand the comic medium. I, you know, I understood, you know, comic pacing, I understand panels and page just by working on such a small, you know, manageable, story and then that allowed me to you know work towards bigger bigger things and it sounds like you had a very similar experience yeah no those short stories are tough you know they're tough to really nail down and i think that's an important skill that you need to have as a writer you know yeah you need to put yourself in the constraint of like i have four pages i have an opening page i have two middle pages and i have a big twist ending how do i do that and that'll solve so much for you I know when I did my short stories, I made it a point that each story had a different kind of narrative device. You know, one story was all dialogue based, not all dialogue based, but it was a it, no narration. And then one was all inner monologue. And then one was a mix of both. And I think it was important to like try those different styles out because you just need to be flexible. You need to be able to do everything. Yeah. And you know, I went, I recently just went back. I was on a, um, a, a big uh, horror anthology called Nightmare Theater. And um, I was doing, you know, long form 22 plus page issues for so long that when I was asked to do a short story to be a part of this anthology, it was really like, it was really hard to do, like rein myself in. It's definitely a, a skill set that I think is important and it's not easy to do. Like you got to develop characters, develop, um, you know, a, a want, a need, a goal, all of those things within like the first few panels. And it really sharpens your tools for the bigger stuff. I, I think that's what really helped for when I did Burn Residue is that, you know, on the Kickstarter, you can see those first four pages and you get, you know, the whole story by the end of those four pages. You know a lot about, you know, who your main character is, you know, what he's coming up against in this issue. And you're, if you're not in by then, you're not going to be in. 
Yeah, and, and you know what? That's okay because not every story is for everyone. But I, I like, uh, I like what you said that you're you're writing for yourself and the thing that you want to see. And if it resonates with other people, then that's that's a bonus. And yeah. that's that's exactly what I think everyone should be doing with the stories they make. Is that you should be writing for yourself, writing the story that you want to tell. And if you think it's awesome, you think it's cool, and it resonates with you, other people are going to not only see that, but it's going to resonate with them as well. And I think those are the best stories, right? You could tell when something's phoned in. You could tell when something's not authentic. Um, And that authentic feel for sure. I for sure feel that in burn residue. I I, I could feel the passion like oozing out of that. uh, That's a word for it. Based on the way Willie looks, oozing is definitely a word. Yes. Yes, for sure. People, as a reader, they feel the energy that a creator has put into it. You know, they, they feel that and that's what engages them even more. There's no doubt why some of the most successful comics out there, the some most successful creator-owned pieces, and even ones of the big two are by people that are doing it for the love of their characters. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I think that's, you know, a, a huge takeaway that everyone, you know... If, someone's listening and they're thinking about, you know, starting their comics or breaking in, or even someone who's been doing it for a while and is kind of stuck. It's like, just remember why you're doing it and, and stay there while you're doing it. Because once you start getting off that path, uh, that's when stuff goes off the rails. Yeah. And like I say, you know, you say it too, getting those pages in, in your inbox from your artist is a huge, like, it's like Christmas day. And you also get to be the first reader of your comic. And yeah, you know, as a reader, if things are working or not. So it's like it, there's a there's a weird disassociated association with your own work. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, talking about burn residue a little bit. You want to talk about uh, the Kickstarter here and just kind of like what what people can get when they back it and how long it's going to be when it ends and all that um, good stuff that they could get from the Kickstarter, because I think it's a really really awesome project. I backed it myself. Um, and I think more people, you know, should definitely take a look at it. Yeah. I think, like I said, in the beginning, I always think it's important that a reader gets or, or a backer or a buyer gets the most for what they're putting in. So it's all three issues and you can get it in three real ways. You can get a digital version, which is $10 and that'll come to your inbox every month. It'll be released on a monthly schedule. Then for $20 plus shipping, we have the physical version. So you'll get those hard copies in your mailbox on that same release date, give or take a day every month, which I think is super fun, super engaging to people. You get, you know, that joy of, oh, I've read this book and now it can become part of like my monthly pile for three months. And then the third way is a graphic novel version, which is going to be a little more you know, a hundred plus pages. It's going to be a dense book for you. And uh, that one we have Jacob Phillips doing the cover for, which you can see now. And that's super awesome. And it's going to look beautiful on any bookshelf. Yeah. You, you, uh, you show me the cover, man. And it's, it's an, it's a stunning cover, man. Really, yeah. really awesome stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I was excited to get Jacob on board and I knew what he was, I knew what he was capable of and I gave him absolutely no direction he said, this is what I was thinking. I said, you just go, you just do it. And the rewards were there. Yeah. I, uh, 
many a times, you know, with uh, the cover, the covers that I, I've I've gotten done, it's really very minimal. I'm like, oh, this is kind of what I'm thinking, but you do you, man. I like your stuff, and it's always blowing me away with what I've gotten back. And yeah. you know, that graphic novel co- cover is awesome. Oh yeah, I can't wait to have one of my own. But like, <laughs> covers are important too. You know, I always I've been lucky to make sure that all my covers are like just grab you. You know, on the Kickstarter, you can see the covers for issue one and issue two of the monthlies, and they both just like jump out at you. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I completely agree. Um, so when is this? When does the campaign end? And then um, where can everyone find you on social media and connect with you? The campaign ends on Black Friday at midnight. So we got one last. You know, after your turkey dinner, you have one last day to become a burner, as I like to say. And uh, you can find us on Kickstarter. You could look at Burn Residue. On Instagram, I am Space Station Z, Z-E-D. It's kind of our um, publishing moniker. And then on Twitter, I am Commander of Zed, C-M-D-R of Zed. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much, man. It was awesome chatting with you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I appreciate you coming on. All right, everyone, um, before you get out of here, make sure you go check out Burn Notice on Kickstarter, and I will see you guys next week.